Welcome to the Lapsus Lima podcast. Please support us by signing up for member-exclusive content at lapsuslima.com. Hello, I'm David Getson. This is part two of our look at Dada within the greater context of 20th century architecture. Last episode, we explored the historiographic form this movement took as a complaint against the cultural forces that had lined up behind Mutasius, Van de Velde, the Expressionists, and Gropius. Today, we look at its content, with a sampling of the myriad manifestos and related writings of the Dada movement. A rhetorical truism that is difficult to implement but worth the trouble reads that the opposing opinion is of the greatest value. If so, Dara would have wished to inflate this value higher than a post-war Reichsmark, for its members emptied wheelbarrows worth of opposition onto themselves and others. The screeds we analyze today, especially Tsara's 1918 manifesto, hammer out a primal opposition to modernist integration and, as we will examine in further episodes, the dragon teeth Dada had sowed would go to seed in the postmodern architectural and intellectual discourse of the century's final decades. But in the beginning, 1916 in their case, a group of artists led by the Romanian Sami Rosenstock, aka Tristan Tsara, was weathering the duration of war in neutral Zurich, Switzerland. Together with his cohorts, he put on regular performances at the Cabaret Voltaire, railing against the technological advancements that had created long-range artillery and mustard gas, against the schoolbook morality that inspired young men to berserker patriotism. The first of many Dada manifestos was read by Hugo Ball at the Cabaret on Bastille Day, 1916. In the opening section, he christens the new movement as follows. Dada comes from the dictionary. It is terribly simple. In French, it means hobby horse. In German, it means goodbye, get off my back, be seeing you sometime. In Romanian, yes, indeed, you are right, that's it, but of course, yes, definitely right, and so forth. An international word, just a word, and the word a movement, very easy to understand, quite terribly simple. To make of it an artistic tendency must mean that one is anticipating complications. Dada psychology. Dada Germany come indigestion and fog paroxysm, Dada literature, Dada bourgeoisie, and yourselves, honored poets, who are always writing with words, but never writing the word itself, who are always writing around the actual point. Dada world war without end, Dada revolution without beginning, Dada, you friends and also poets, esteemed Sirs, manufacturers, and evangelists. The utterance of the overdetermined word dada paints the dictionary as a jumble of reference, 
with the arbitrary taking precedence over the meaningful. From the start, an attack is leveled on the poets, who persist in writing asymptotically around what Wittgenstein would soon refer to as the axis of our real need. Contempt for art and artists who pretended there was deep meaning where Dadaists saw nothing but hypocrisy would be a constant, consistent invective. While the figurative art and historicist architecture of the 19th century had been packed with references to mythical figures, allegories, and previous period styles, its early 20th century counterparts pushed this kind of meaning aside in their quest for formal innovation. The abstractions and simplifications of modern art and architecture would attempt the very sinuous trick of banishing metaphor and reference while claiming to somehow retain profound, even spiritual resonance. The closing statement to Le Corbusier's 1923 modernist coda towards an architecture is, after all, the captionless image of a pipe unlit, as if to say that the everyday form of that object was sufficient. A cigar should always just be a cigar, a pipe, a pipe, and so forth. The Dadaists and their successors made it their mission to cut that false modesty down to size. Ball claims that each thing has its word, but the word has become a thing in itself. Why shouldn't I find it? Why can't a tree be called pluplush and pluplubash when it has been raining? The word outside your domain, gentlemen, is a public concern of the first importance. In their effort to bear the arbitrary backside of language to the world, Dadaists would come to rank amongst the most formidable paresiastes, or bold speakers, in art history. Sara's own manifesto came out on March 23, 1918. He begins by defining the rationale of manifestos in general, stating the program, what one is against. He then promptly states that this need itself is obsolete. Like the Cretan who claims that all Cretans are liars, using a manifesto to proclaim the obsolescence of all manifestos is a synthesis and a negation. As we shall eventually see, this attempt at a reboot through self-contradiction would be prominently wielded by the deconstructivists of later decades. Sara's own commentary on Dada's name is to say that this is a word that throws up ideas so that they can be shot down. Dada is a firing range. Then, in an iconographic gesture many of these artists cultivated, the cartoon drawing of a pointing hand, often related to 19th century style advertising, diverts the reader's attention to an all-caps line that emphasizes, 
in case we missed it the first time, that Dada does not mean anything. Sprouting from a century jammed tight with academic references, the nascent abstract art of which strove so ambitiously to express the inexpressible, Sara's movement brought attention back into the be here now, declaring things as symbols of themselves. He continues by describing, as Hugo Ball did, the many things Dada could mean, so many as for Dada to be meaningless. He deems contemporary art movements as relapses into a dry and noisy, noisy and monotonous primitivism. A work of art should not be beauty in itself, for beauty is dead. And his next step is where we start to see whole sections of 20th century attitudes to art as social agent unfold. A work of art is never beautiful by decree, objectively and for all. Hence, criticism is useless. It exists only subjectively, for each man separately without the slightest character of universality. Does anyone think he has found a psychic base common to all mankind? As we know, the maiden science of psychoanalysis had been trying to do just that. Freud had sex as common locus, and Jung would develop a theory of species-specific collective unconscious. In his manifesto, Sara argues, though, that psychoanalysis is a dangerous disease. It puts to sleep the anti-objective impulses of man and systematizes the bourgeoisie. He ridicules attempts to apply reason to actions. Some people think they can explain rationally by thought what they think, but that is extremely relative. The dialectic is an amusing mechanism which guides us, in a banal kind of way, to the opinions we had in the first place. There is no ultimate truth. This asserts not just the inaccessibility, but the complete denial of ultimate truth. Objectivity is amputated from the realm of art. Dowager beauty is deposed. This pointed attack on truth, objectivity, and beauty formed the anti-foundational foundation of many 20th century beliefs from the deconstruction of Jacques Derrida to the colliding cubes of Peter Eisenman. We saw last week how Tsara forced a sharp and qualitative cleanamen between Dada and the art movements that had come before, around, and sometimes even after it, declaring it to be a protest rather than a mere technical refinement. The 1918 manifesto sums it up succinctly. 
Cezanne painted a cup 20 centimeters below eye level. The cubists represented it from above and in multiple perspectives simultaneously. The futurists would see that same cup in motion as a series of images with added force lines. But Zara concludes by stating, This does not prevent the canvas from being a good or bad painting suitable for the investment of intellectual capital. He crucially outlines how value, beauty, good and bad had already been absent in the repertoire of previous movements. This is part of the reason why art was not just dead, but also a posthumous done deed and an accomplishment, perhaps what Joyce himself in Zurich at the time would one day call a fun-for-all. Be as it may, any claims to the return to beauty were ushering the artist and public into a long, deserted building, no longer one to court Apollo's muses. The new painter creates a world, the elements of which are also its implements, a sober, definite work without argument. The new artist protests. This quality of legitimate expression, this motive for protest, was indignation, which Tsarid termed Dada Disgust. Still moved by the long arm of Nietzsche's influence, he framed Dada as an agent for the transvaluation of all values. Morality has determined charity and pity, two balls of fat that have grown like elephants, like planets, and are called good. There is nothing good about them. Goodness is lucid, clear, and decided, pitiless toward compromise and politics. Morality is an injection of chocolate into the veins of all men. It was understood that pity is a sentiment like diarrhea in relation to the disgust that destroys health, a foul attempt by carrion corpses to compromise the sun. I proclaim the opposition of all cosmic faculties to this gonorrhea of a putrid sun issued from the factories of philosophical thought. I proclaim bitter struggle with all the weapons of Dada disgust. He ends the manifesto proclaiming, Freedom! Dada! 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 A roaring of tense colors and interlacing of opposites and of all contradictions, grotesques, inconsistencies. Life. After the war, Zurich no longer held exclusive claim to the centripetal forces of exile. Several cities developed their own Dada spin-offs. Our friend Darren Anderson at Honoropolis, 
recently retweeted an image of a New York Evening Journal headline from January 29, 1921. The article in question, by a Ms. Marjorie Rex, began by saying, Dada will get you if you don't watch out. It is on the way here. Paris has capitulated to new literary movement. London laughs, but will probably be next victim, and New York surrender is just a matter of time. An image of Duchamp's nude descending a staircase was presented next to a poem by future surrealist Louis Aragon, which it was promised would tantalize the reader with hell-said things. But this was a diluted Dada that was better able to commingle and partake in social occasions like the New York Armory Show. Some years earlier in Berlin, Hausmann had formed that city's Dada chapter which bore the markings of its founder's own exceptional ferocity. In its second issue of the pamphlet Der Dada in 1919, he published a reply to the critics of his disorganization, which read like this. Who is the German Philistine that he should be upset by Dadaism? It is the German writer, the German intellectual who explodes with rage because his formally perfect schmaltzbred soul has been left to bake in the sun of ridicule, confused because he has suffered a direct hit to the brain, which in his case is located where he sits, and now he has nothing to sit on. No, do not attack us, gentlemen. We are already our own enemies, and know better than you where we are vulnerable. We play, squeak, curse, laugh our irony, Dada, for we are anti-Dadaists. This was a personalized expression of Tsara's comment that Dada throws up ideas to shoot them down. Caught in the crossfire are the spent dregs of expressionism. Hausmann continues, After an enormous thinning of the vital feeling in anesthetic abstractions and moral-ethical farces, there arises from the European soup the expressionism of the German patriot, who took a respectable movement started by the French, Russians, and Italians, and fabricated a small, profitable war industry in an endlessly plump enthusiasm. Though I, for one, could hardly imagine painters such as Ernst Ludwig Kirchner or Emil Nolde both of whom would later be maligned by the Nazis, as spearheading a war industry, or anything industrial for that matter, the bile of Dada disgust swept out anything that got in its way. Dada frequently included. Though Hausmann's adversarial tone was typical of Dada in general, the special intensity was characteristic of Berlin Dada, which, in the context of the recent revolution, was more political than other versions of the movement. It was even ideological to the point of exclusivity. 
The Berlin Dadaists referred to themselves as mechanics. They did not strive to birth an original production, but practiced collage and montage, art culled from detritus. The only use they had for history was as negative space. During the winter of 1918-19, Hanoverian artist Kurt Schwitters met Hausmann and Hannah Höch, asking to join the Berlin Dada Club. Hausmann later claimed in his book Courier Dada that Richard Hulsenbeck had rejected Schwitters on political grounds. He was contaminated by association with expressionists from Der Sturm, a Berlin magazine and art gallery. Though rejected by the flashy Berlin radicals, Schwitters was yet undeterred as a Dadaist. He would soon make his way to Weimar with Theo van Doesburg for that international exhibition we mentioned last episode, and his lifetime's work, the immersive sculptural collage he dubbed Merzbau, carried a wholly individual stamp. Join us next week on Lapsus Lima as we wrap up our survey of Dada with its one architecture-scaled work. We will also return to Weimar to take a closer look at the expressionists Dada deplored and whom Gropius adopted and adapted as a Bauhaus cornerstone. Thank you for listening.